Hello everyone, welcome back to Discussing Disparities. My name is Pallavi Ghosh, the other co-founder of Health Needs Rx. Um, if you're new to our website, we're a new organization with a mission to mitigate health disparities through educational video content and informational guides on essential topics like chronic diseases, mental health, respiratory illnesses, health literacy, and much more to help people optimize their health. Uh, we also strive to spur discussion on health disparities and the state of them today through our blog, Medkuri, and this very podcast. So on this episode of Discussing Disparities, I am joined with Srinidhi Saripalli from Humanity and Health, who will talk more about cultural competence and its impact today. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. So to start, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and Humanity Being Health? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, As you stated, I'm Srinidhi Saripali. I'm a junior at Novi High School and, well, I decided to start Humanity and Health after taking a course on cultural diversity and disparities through my local HOSA chapter. And, you know, my friends would always ask me which event I was competing in, and I would say cultural diversity and disparities in healthcare. They're always like, wait, what is that? And this happens so many times, and I noticed a trend that high schoolers who aspired to become physicians didn't really have this knowledge about how cultural competence could benefit a patient so greatly in a healthcare situation. And that's when I decided to start my organization with a mission to educate future healthcare professionals about the need for cultural competence and the prevalence of disparities in healthcare. That is so cool. I noticed, yeah, I do host it too at our school. Um, I'm glad we can relate on that. Um, I hear you have new workshops coming up. Um, Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So my workshops on cultural competence are targeted towards undergraduate students who are on a pre-med path. And I and my co-developer outlined a curriculum that would give almost somewhat of a crash course on cultural competence at its simplest term. And the workshop itself consists of six to seven 15 minute lectures that discuss important topics in cultural competency. It covers the foundations of cultural competence, race, ethnicity, and other differences among patients, traditional methods of healing, religion, holistic health, addressing LGBTQ plus needs, and also how to foster the patient provider relationship. And recently we were invited by Dr. Janet Hankin of the sociology department at Wayne State University to actually come in and conduct our workshop in her class this fall. So I'm really excited for that. That's so exciting. I'm so glad that you get to um, work on your organization like that. Um, Can you give us a brief summary of what cultural competence is to start and how it relates to healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. So cultural competence is basically just attending to the total context of the patient's situation. So it's not just, oh, a patient has X disease that can be cured with Y medication. It's where does this, any factors that you have to consider when administering treatment, does this patient seek other forms of healthcare, et cetera. And an example that I really like to give when explaining this concept is, well, imagine that a patient is in dire need of a blood transfusion. They were in an accident, they're losing a lot of blood. 
and normally you would just give them a transfusion and go from there. But this patient is a firm follower of Jehovah's Witness and has indicated on their medical records that they do not want to receive any blood products. So in this situation, the physician would use cultural competence to determine what would be acceptable to give to this patient, such as like clotting factor concentrates and other alternatives to a blood transfusion. So this pre-existing knowledge of what would be deemed acceptable to administer to the patient is essentially cultural competence. And of course, that's just one example out of many. That was such a good explanation. Thank you for that. Um, so why is it important for healthcare providers to be culturally competent? Yeah, I get this question a lot. So one of the main reasons that this is so important is because the United States in particular is super diverse. We have such a large immigrant population that comes from all over the world, and everyone has their own set of beliefs, values, practices, languages, religions, etc. So as a physician, it's more than likely that there are big differences among your patients. And having that knowledge of patient background and understanding the context in which they come from can lead to many positive benefits. There are higher levels of trust, which can lead to more compliance with medical regimen, just among the patient and the physician. And the quality of care that the patient receives will increase. And honestly, it's just overall a better experience for the patient. You know, obviously going to the hospital is not always super fun. There's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty involved from the patient's perspective. So to have a physician just be there for you and understand where you're coming from and your mindset and just overall respects you as a person probably just makes things a lot easier for the patient. Right, that's so important to have a welcoming environment in the healthcare um, office, right? So how does a lack of awareness of one's culture impact the patient? Yeah, well, it can lead to many harmful misunderstandings. There was actually a story that was published a while ago of a two-year-old Latina girl who was brought into the hospital after sustaining multiple severe injuries. And I thought that this story really reflected on this question. So basically, the girl's mother only spoke Spanish and told the attending resident, Se Pego, and the resident interpreted this as the girl was physically struck. And after looking at previous hospital records, the physician suspected child abuse and took the girl away from her mother. Nearly two hours later, the DSS, Diplomatic Security Service, brought in a fluent translator and actually interviewed the mother. And they discovered that the girl actually only fell off of her bike and got hurt and concluded that the child was perfectly safe at home. And this entire misunderstanding could have been so easily avoided if the physicians just applied cultural competence and knew when to request the help of a translator instead of assuming things. And, you know, instead, a family was almost wrongly separated. Right. I think that story perfectly um, elaborates on the importance of language and communication, which we will further discuss later in the podcast. Um, I understand that there are different schools of healthcare systems that people use across the US, um, the most prominent being allopathy, which is basically a health system in which medical doctors and other healthcare professionals are licensed to practice and treat symptoms and diseases. 
Um, it's also known as Western or traditional um, medicine. And um, in the U.S., six million people use homeopathy, which is basically untraditional medicine. So, could you tell me a little bit more about the holistic side of healthcare and how it affects um, allopathic healthcare providers? Yeah, of course. So there are many different schools of medicine, and the two main branches are allopathy and homeopathy. So allopathic medicine was established from around 1870 to 1930, and it's basically medicine as we know it today. It's, you know, going to your hospital, getting a a physician checkup, just things like that. And the allopathic belief system embraces all methods of proven empirical science. It includes community and public health, psychiatric and mental health, and rehabilitation, among others. So that's um, allopathy. And the other branch is homeopathy. And under homeopathy, there are a variety of different healthcare systems. One is osteopathy, which is becoming increasingly popular in the United States. And osteopathy is a uniquely American branch of medicine, and it was created with the intent of curing without surgery or drugs. But it has has evolved, and now osteopathic medicine is largely the same as allopathic medicine, except it also includes manipulation of bones, muscles, and joints as a form of therapy. So doctors of osteopathy can essentially heal with only their hands, which I think is really cool. Another example of homeopathic medicine, and this form of medicine uses really small doses of plant, mineral, or animal substances to stimulate the body's immune system to fight off disease. And I'm pretty sure um, many of our audience have also heard of chiropractic medicine. That's also another really popular form of homeopathy. And chiropractors essentially use the manipulation of bones to stimulate the flow of energy from the brain to the rest of the body. Those are just some examples of homeopathy, and there are many other forms out there, but those are just some of the more popular ones. And in regards to how homeopathic care affects allopathic care, I think the the effect is actually really entirely subjective. It really depends on the context. Like, for example, if a patient recently had back surgery, it would be really useful for the allopathic physician to know that so they could advise the patient to wait for a certain time before visiting a chiropractor again. Just things like that. That is so interesting. I love learning about other ways of treating um, illnesses and conditions and just other forms of medicine in general. Um, So now when discussing cultural competence, it's important to be aware of some of the terminology that can be confusing yet is very important to note. So could you tell me what the difference is between being culturally competent, culturally appropriate, and culturally sensitive? Yeah, of course. So all those definitions really have the same philosophies, there are just minute differences. But the textbook definition of cultural competence according to Spectre is Within the delivered care, the provider understands and attends to the total context of the patient's situation, and this is a complex combination of knowledge, attitudes, and skill. So what this basically means is that you simply, you simply possess cultural competence. You have the knowledge and the skill set. Culturally appropriate is when the provider applies the underlying background knowledge that must be possessed to provide a patient with the best possible health care, again from Spectre. So culturally appropriate is kind of taking it a step beyond simply having cultural competence. Now you are actually applying it. 
and culturally sensitive is when the provider possesses some basic knowledge and constructive attitudes toward the health traditions observed among the diverse cultural groups found in the setting in which he or she is practicing. So culturally sensitive deals more with mindset and recognizing the different needs among various cultures and people from different backgrounds. It's basically just having an open attitude towards it. Yeah. That was such a good explanation. That really clears up the definition of very similar terminology. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, let's discuss specific aspects of culture that are important to be aware of. So how does religion come into play when giving care? Yeah, religion is one of the biggest components of cultural competence. So there are a lot of medical restrictions among different religions, and it's super important to consider that as a factor in administering treatment. And I think I mentioned this earlier with the example of a patient whose faith was Jehovah's Witness. But just to elaborate on that, followers of Jehovah's Witness are not allowed to receive abortions according to their faith and they are not allowed to receive artificial insemination, blood products, including transfusion, faith healing, organ donation, or sterilization. And it's really important to know these restrictions beforehand to come up with alternatives that comply with the beliefs of your faith patient. Um, another religion is the faith of Judaism, and it allows therapeutic abortion, which is when the abortion is performed due to health conditions of the mother. Artificial insemination is also allowed, and Judaism has very strict dietary laws, which include the prohibition of mixing milk and meat and the consumption of pork products and shellfish. Judaism also permits most surgical procedures, and that was the faith of Judaism. So another one is Mormons. Mormons are not allowed to use birth control and they forbid abortion and surgical sterilization. Mormons also believe that the power of God can bring healing and employ the laying on hands on, of hands to invoke the Holy Spirit for healing. Mormons don't have restrictions on most medications and surgical procedures. And those are just the restrictions of a couple of religions. There are obviously many more, but depending on the faith of a patient, you would just sit down and talk to them about any restrictions that they would have. Right, it's so important to know about all these um, different restrictions that come with different religions and how um, different patients may react to um, allopathic versus homeopathic medicine too. Um, yeah, so the LGBTQ community often faces a lot of discrimination, fear, and a lack of communication from healthcare providers and often leads to them not receiving regular or quality care. Um, so what are some ways that healthcare workers can change the way they treat these patients and how it can benefit the community? Yeah, of course. So it honestly just comes down to being very respectful and also mindful. So there's an example that I like to give. So say that a nurse is at a hospital and she's calling out, she or she is calling out names for patients to visit the doctor. And she calls out Luca Roberts, but is surprised to see a woman stand up and walk towards her. And the woman is obviously upset as she says, you know, my name is actually Lucy Roberts. And, you know, the nurse is really confused as she looks back and forth between Lucy to the health insurance form. And it takes the nurse a few seconds to realize that Lucy is actually a transgender woman. But by then, the disrespect shown to Lucy is obviously irreversible. 
So clarifying pronouns and marking changes regarding dead names among medical records is super duper important. And the health of the LGBTQ plus community is really vital since it increases um, mental health and physical well-being and it reduces disease transmission and progression. And contributing to that positive experience also increases communication as with, you know, not just with um, LGBTQ plus patients, but with patients in general, being mindful and respectful is super important. Yes, and uh, speaking of communication, could you elaborate more on how language and communication affects the amount and quality of healthcare certain groups may receive? Yeah, of course. So with the United States containing so many different languages spoken, communication can sometimes pose a problem. You have to be really mindful of the fluency in which the patient can read or write English, and also you have to know when to request the help of a translator. I think I mentioned this earlier when communicating across a different language, but there also might be barriers relating to communication that have nothing to do with language. Maybe a patient can speak English really well but cannot read English, and some patients, although fluent in English both spoken and written simply may not understand what the physician is saying since they don't know what some of the medical terms mean and this can lead to various misunderstandings regarding medical regimen so it's really helpful and vital to check in with the patient to make sure that they know what's going on and address any of their concerns that may have arise due to misunderstandings right and I think that highlights the importance of using bilingual health providers versus um, family or non-professional interpreters as well. Um, so why is it important to be aware of a patient's ethnicity or socioeconomic status? Yeah, those are two incredibly important factors to always consider when treating a patient. So a patient's ethnicity can help identify any potential disparities the patient might be subject to. For example, there is a positive correlation between the presence of diabetes among the South Asian or Indian population. So if your patient's ethnicity is South Asian, a physician could check their blood sugar levels and recommend exercise and diet regimens. And I know that there is like a positive correlation, but it's also super important to never assume things. This is not meant to stereotype, it's just meant as a preventative measure. And as for socioeconomic status, well, it's not really a secret that there are treatments and medications that can be really expensive, and they may not always be covered by insurance if the patient even has insurance. So taking into account the patient's socioeconomic status can help identify any problems in attaining healthcare, and the physician and patient can then work together to come up with viable, affordable alternatives. And doing this will help the patient stick to the medical regimen prescribed and will just increase their overall health. Right, that was such a good answer. Thank you for elaborating on that. Um, finally, what are the five steps for reaching cultural competence and adjusting your own personal bias? Yeah, so I know cultural competence encompasses a lot of different information, but there's a really simple guide to it outlined by Spectre. So the first step to it is understanding your personal heritage. Who are you? What is your heritage? And it's really important to know your own family heritage to understand the traditional views of health and illness throughout your family history. And it's also important to recognize that people of different heritage may have different views regarding healthcare. And I think step one is can really contribute to addressing any personal biases that you may have. 
Step two is knowing the heritage of others. So knowing the heritage of the people and of the community in which you practice healthcare can make a really big difference in the way you treat a patient. For example, if you live in a town where your patients are primarily Muslim, know that Muslim women are more modest and will often request a female physician. So just taking into the account the background of the community around you. Step three is to recognize the various health beliefs and practices. So as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, there are a lot of different health beliefs and philosophies practiced throughout the world. So understanding that your patient may seek healthcare from multiple sources is important to foster more communication between patient and provider. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the example between the allopathic physician and a chiropractor. Step four is being aware of the healthcare culture and the system. So you should know that most of the core beliefs among the healthcare culture and system in which you aspire to practice to see if any shortcomings with it and emphasize the positives in the system. And lastly, step five is knowing the traditional healthcare systems. There are so many different types of traditional healthcare systems practiced around the world, from acupuncture to Ayurvedic medicine and even leeching. So being more aware of these will definitely improve our cultural competence. Wow, thank you so much for helping us out today. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion on cultural competence in the healthcare industry. Um, please go visit their website, Instagram, and podcast. It will all be linked in the description. Thank you so much for watching, and see you in the next episode. Goodbye.